Okay, uh, we are jumping into a new series this semester. Uh, we're going to be on it for four weeks, and we are going to be talking about the subject you wish your pastor talked about. You are so excited, Kevin talked about. You've been begging for this topic. You're like, Kevin, if you could talk about anything, why would you not consider spending four weeks on the topic that we talk about as college students all the time? And it's this one, sex. And over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about God's design, the distortions in our culture, and ultimately God's uh, plan of redemption through Christ when it comes to sexuality. And, and let me tell you, this is a big topic. This is a big topic, and, and it is a big topic that can't be covered in 30 minutes in this topic of sexuality. And there's two ways you can... This is a help us along with this series. The first is this. Um, you can go to your version app... And jump in and, and download uh, our, 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 uh, our series, basically our Bible study series, through this. You can join in with this, and it can be part of your devotions to dive deeper into this content even personally. So if you go to Version, you type in uh, Grace Bible Church, or if you just type in sex, I think we are the top listed if you just type in sex. Um, which you're, So I'm encouraging you on your cell phone to type in sex on the Version app. And you'll follow us along. The second way you can help us is this. Uh, if this is a QR code. If you hold up your phone right now, everyone can take a moment, grab your phone, hold it up to this QR code. It's really big. Um, and, and if you can take that picture, what will happen is it will send you directly to a survey and what we would love to do is, I'm make sure I'm out of the way. What I would, what I would love to do, uh, and we can put it up after the service as well, guys. We can put it up after the service so you can jump on it. Um, well, I would love to have uh, basically information from you and be able to address some of the questions that you have. And so if you can answer that survey, and in particular, at the, the last question on the survey is any additional questions you have and send it to us. It's all anonymous. Um, we just would we'll get the information from you to hear how, how you guys are processing with this issue when it comes to sexuality in our culture. So if you can answer those questions um, as part of that survey, that would be extremely, extremely helpful We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, and if you've never read the Bible before, this is going to be great because it's literally the first page of your Bible, the first book of your Bible. So be working on that survey. I'll give you about another minute to work on that. Please finish it later. And if you have a Bible, jump to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read a little bit for us, and then we will jump into this topic. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26, says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our own likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing. And so God made man in his own image and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food uh, and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I've given every green plant for food and it was so. And God saw that everything he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, 
There was mourning. First day. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you so much that you have given us clarity in the midst of a confused world when it comes to sexuality. And Lord, I I pray that as we journey in in addressing the issue of of sex, I, I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to look at it afresh. And Lord, I know there's many of us that could look at our our past or even our present and say that when it comes to sex, there's a lot of mistakes that we have made, whether it's in our thoughts or our actions. And so Lord, I pray that as we open up this topic, you would really open up our hearts and bring healing to us. We need it. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I first got married, I did what all married couples do, uh, and that was we bought Ikea furniture. Um, and so we bought these, like all of these kind of uh, into the new uh, you know, desks to put together and, and different pieces of Ikea furniture to put together into the new apartment that my wife and I were moving into. And, uh, and, and if you've ever put together I, Ikea furniture, you would think that it would be easy. You would think, because they give you all the tools, right? Like, you got all the tools at your disposal. They give you all the screws. They give you all, like, the the tightening pieces, like those little ratchets or whatever they are. They give you everything that you need to put this together, and they put it all in this nice little simple box, and they bring it to your house, and they put it in front of you, and you go, okay, all I need to do is make these pieces look like this nice little tower that we can store our stuff in, our books or whatever else, right? Like all you need to do is, is follow the instructions. But what I did is I just looked at the picture and said, I want that. And I said, I want that. And so what I'll do is I'll just look at these pieces and I'll figure out how to cobble this little entertainment center together. I'll just do it myself. Like I know where these pieces go. I know what to do. And so I literally take out all the pieces and then I start, hey, these are longer. These are shorter. Perfect. And I just start kind of cobbling my way together. And, and if you've ever done something like that, Spare pieces. Why did they give you all those extra pieces? And a leaning tower of entertainment, right? Like this. <laughs> what ended up happening is that I, although I thought I knew how it worked, when I ignored the designer's intent, which was follow the instructions, what I ended up with was a very broken, poorly put together entertainment center. And the reason I start there is because when it comes to the issue of sexuality, we do the same thing. We think that we have all the pieces. We think we know how it should work. And what we see in the pictures across our culture, we say, look, I want a, a, a life of, of sexual freedom and sexual joy. And, 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 and maybe even with the one that I love, maybe that's your desire. Uh, and, and we say, like, I'll just cobble the pieces together. And if I just put the pieces together... Ultimately, it will end up like this finished beautiful product. And I think what we can all look at in our culture is to say, I don't know that the way we are expressing sexuality is ending up with flourishing and life. In fact, I would see the opposite. I think there's a lot of brokenness in our culture when it comes to the issue of sexuality. It is a very broken environment that we're walking into. And the reality is this. Sex is literally everywhere. You can't get away from it. Sociologist Sarah um, Moran said that she studied the hypersexualization of women in media for more than 25 years. 
The research that she and her colleagues at Kenyon College conducted over the last several years found a steep increase in the pervasiveness of images and magazines showing one woman and women in highly sexualized ways. And this article is actually a little bit dated because you're like, magazines? Who reads those, right? Because where you find it most easily is on Instagram, is on, um, is on Twitter, it's on every commercial you see on YouTube, it's in the pop-up menu as you're watching other videos. You're like, oh, you like comedy. Do you like naked women? Like, it's right there in the midst of it. Like, you just can't get away from the images. We are living in an extremely hyper-sexualized culture. It is literally everywhere. You can't get away from it. But not only that, the reality is that it's increasing in our culture of this hyper-sexualization. There's a second challenge that you're facing as well. The rate of cohabitation, not marriage, is increasing. So people living together, sleeping together, but not marrying. That is on the rise. What's not on the rise is marriage. So in one article, um, the source from uh, the U.S. Census, it says this, that Americans are not putting a ring on it. The percent of married people among 18 to 34-year-olds dropped 59% chance that you were married in 1978. Today, it's about 29%. So people are, are pushing back the the timeline to get married, there's, a, there's an increase in cohabitation. People are living together and sleeping together, but they're not marrying in our culture. And it's led to all sorts of challenges across the way. And the third kind of challenge is this. There's a, a reality that our modern society literally rejects biblical sexuality. Our modern culture, our modern society rejects biblical sexuality. And all you have to do is look at The Bachelor. <laughs> this is this season of The Bachelor. Um, and for some of you, you may think, no, no, this is what God intended. Like, bring, bring 30 options in front of me. Let me try out each option and figure out which one's the best for me. You know, like, maybe, maybe that's what God wanted. Maybe that's what I need. But, but in reality, this is very popular in our culture. And what's surprising about this season in particular is, is that the, the main contestant, here we get in one of his romantic moments, a main contestant, um, Colton Underwood, uh, he actually is a virgin right now. Uh, he has not had um, sexual experience up to this point. He's 26 years old. He's a former NFL football player. And what's interesting about culturally what's going on is that's the story. The story is the fact that he hasn't had sex before. Now, in his words, he's not doing it for any religious reasons. He says he just hasn't found the right, found the right one. Uh, the host of the show has said, well, I am hope to overcome that, like if I do my job. And so th- there's a general vision, the general idea that the fact that he is a virgin going at this point in his life and that he's waiting to find the right one is the storyline, is the weird part, is the strange piece in our culture. It is the story. So culturally, our culture rejects the biblical view of sexuality. In fact, I would say there's a reality that maybe even some of you would reject the biblical view of sexuality. And we're going to define that a little bit later on, but here's one objection that I think many of you maybe have even heard or, or seen that's been brought up to you, and it goes something like this, that the Bible is an old book that only presents the accepted values of an ancient culture. Meaning, 
We're a modern view, culture with modern expressions of sexuality. And so we, this only reflects what they did. But here's what's interesting. There was a, there was a, um, a museum exhibit in the Museum of um, Cycladic Art. And the, the person, the director of the exhibit was a man named Nicholas um, Stampanopoulos. This article is recorded in The Guardian. Um, you can go look it up yourself. And, and what he wanted to do was to explain what ancient sexuality in the culture of Greece looked like. So if you look at your Bible, especially the New Testament, many of Paul's letters are written to, to cities in ancient Greece. Greece was a very popular, prominent culture. You know Alexander the Great, he, he spread the Greek language. The, or the New Testament was written in Greek because it was the common language spoken. So the religion and ideals of the Greek culture were pervasive at the time that the New Testament was written. And so when Paul was pinning the New Testament, he was addressing the sexual expression of the Greek culture that was pervasive up through even Roman occupation. And so as this museum exhibit was created, they wanted to represent what did Greek sexuality look like. And here's what some of the article said. It says this, It was an easy task, said the professor, who spent three and a half years thinking about how he would organize the show. It's easy to write about love in either poetry or prose. It's difficult to represent it visually. And so that's what he tried to do. He says there were rooms reserved for artistic renditions of sexual congress. That's what he was describing it. And so you had to be 16 years of age in order to go to one of these rooms that's describing what the ancient Greek culture did in terms of sexuality. And so let me read this to you. There's some words you may not even know. But here's what was represented in that one of these rooms. It says pedestry, which is um, having sex with minors, in particular young boys, was very common um, in Greek culture. And so pedestry, socially accepted in ancient times, homoerotic love, um, the a quaintly uh, named uh, bucolic love affair, uh, which was basically an orgy, viewers are bombarded with what the ancients were clearly good at, being body. From scenes of anal uh, copulation, words you never thought you'd have in a sermon, (laughs) to mutual oral sex, to uh, lucky charms of great phalluses and engravings of frenzied sex with half men, half beasts, um, satires, and sailings. Eros was depicted in all of its glory. Um, when we're talking about ancient cultures' view of sexuality, they did everything and more than we, that we do culturally. So when Paul is writing a view of sexuality, it is always going to be countercultural. But the second objection you might have is this. It says, our modern view of sexuality is, is better. So we should reject biblical views. And what we mean by modern is this, that sexual freedom, meaning multiple sexual partners, will produce happier, more satisfied people. Maybe that view of sexuality is actually where, where we'll find that we're happiest. There's an article um, by Nicholas uh, Wolfinger from the Institute of Family Studies of the University of Utah, and he writes this from his study on sexuality. He says this, contrary to conventional wisdom, when it comes to sex, less experience is better, at least for marriage. Says, 
W. Brad Wilcox, a sociologist and senior fellow at the Institute of Family Studies and an Atlantic contributor. In early analysis, Wolfinger found that women with zero or one previous sex partners before marriage were least likely to divorce, while those with 10 or more were most likely. The divorce, these divorce-proof brides, that's what they call it in this article, are an exclusive crew. By the 2010s, he writes, just 5% of new brides were virgins and just 6% of their marriages dissolved within five years compared to with 20% for most people. So as they're studying this, what they're finding is that fewer sexual partners, that's what this graph shows, actually leads to marriages that are more likely to last, less likely to be divorced. And so when it comes to building a happy life in which you are committed to one person for a lifetime, what they're not finding when they study this is that multiple sexual partners produce lasting, life-giving relationships. They're actually finding the opposite. That fewer sexual partners, zero to one, is actually what's going to produce lasting, life-giving marriages. It's very, very interesting to look at. And so when we're talking about sexuality in our culture, we say our culture is not, doesn't believe, doesn't hold to the biblical framework when it comes to sexuality. So what is the biblical framework for sexuality? Well, I'm going to lay it out this way. The first thing is this, that intimacy was imagined in the mind of God. Intimacy wasn't a surprise to God. It was literally God's idea. And you see it there in Genesis 1. When he creates man and woman and puts them together in this moment, he says in verse 27 that he created them, male and female, he created them. He created them with sexual distinction. He created them different from one another. And in all of his creation, God says, and it's good. The sexual distinction that I put there is good. But he also created sexual function. He says this to them in verse 28 of of Genesis chapter 1. It says this, Now, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. He literally gives them instructions to have sex. That was God's idea. He didn't bring the man and woman together and be like, What are y'all doing? Like It wasn't a surprise to him. He created them with sexual distinction and with sexual function. And it was a good thing. God looked at everything that he created and said, behold, it is very good. And so this is key. Sexuality is not bad. It is not wrong. Some, some of you grew up in very conservative cultures when it comes to the views of sexuality. And they, they kind of frame it this way. Sex is dirty, nasty, vile, and wrong. Save it for the one you love, right? Like that's kind of the framework. But that's not God's design. That's not God's desire. He says, I imagined what this would look like. And then he created us. And he says this, that you were created for intimacy. You were created to be intimate with another person. And Genesis 2 really lays this out, really frames it. So Genesis 2, flip over there to chapter, or chapter 2, verse 18. I'm going to read this to us. It says this. Genesis 1 is an overall account of creation. And Genesis 2 moves into the details of, of his conversation with Adam and Eve during this process. And he says this. Then God said... 
verse 18, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and bird under heaven and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Verse 20. Then man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds and the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man. And while he slept, took out his rib and closed it up, closed up the flesh in his place. And the, rib, and the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said... This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. See, we were created for intimacy, and there's something within us that desires a companion. And what you see in Genesis chapter 2 is that God is preparing That he was created for companionship. He was created for another. And so he makes all of these animals. He's like parades all the animals. Like, that's a cool um, animal right there. What do you want to call that? Dog. All right. That's that's a dog. You know, like, that's a cool animal there. What do you want to call that one? I don't know. Cow? Yeah, that's awesome. How much do you like that cow? It's cool. I don't know. It moves. It moves along. He's like, oh, what do you want to call that one? Oh, that one's a monkey. Oh, that one's an aardvark. Like, great, great. And he just keeps on moving the animals. And it's almost as if God's saying, none of them quite... Meet your needs, do they? And then he says, all right, I'm going to cause a deep sleep to fall over you. And I'm going to show you what you really need, the companion you really long for. And he creates a woman. He doesn't create a parade of women. He creates a woman. And he brings her to him, and they are both naked and not ashamed. And he sees her, and the dude busts into poetry, right? (laughs) It's beautiful, right? See, not only is there a desire for a companion, there's a desire for a connection. And the first thing Adam does is like, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She should be called a woman because she's taken out. This is amazing. He's in this moment going, this is incredible. And God's desire was for you to have intimacy in relationship. Now, I want to take a step right here. Not every one of you will get married, okay? The vast majority of you will get married. The vast majority of you will actually have this sort of intimate expression. And God says, I've created man and woman to be together, to have this companion and this deep connection. It is not bad. It is good. It is all part of my design. I made you to want and long to be intimate. Those desires are not bad. Those desires are God-given and good. So what is God's design for sex? What does God want sex to look like? And I'm just going to read you Bible. This is not Kevin's opinion from this point on. This is literally verses. These would be good verses to tattoo on your arm later on, okay? (laughs) The first one is this is Proverbs 5, 18 through 19, right? Buckle up. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. That's one of God's designs. He wants passionate pleasure 
with a spouse, a wife, a committed lifelong relationship in the covenant of marriage. God ordained the first marriage ceremony, and he wants you to enjoy the context of sexuality within the context of marriage. Verse 19, a lovely deer and a graceful doe. Here's your verse. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always with her love. Now, let me just read that verse from Proverbs. Proverbs has great verses on business and how to handle your finances. There's a lot of wisdom. If you keep reading in Proverbs, it also has great descriptions on how sexuality is supposed to be expressed in the context of biblical marriage between a man and a woman. It says this, you are to be satisfied, to enjoy, to passionately pursue one another. Song of Solomon also talks about this. This is the book that young Jewish boys couldn't read till they reached the right age because it had verses like this in it. He says this, how beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all of your delights. Your statue is like a palm tree. I don't know where you're getting at that, but. (laughs) And your breasts are like its clusters. I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. I think you know what he's getting at. (laughs) Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of wine. And it goes on. It's beautiful. And then she responds. She responds to his statements. She says, his lips over the teeth. She is describing making out. (laughs) I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved. Let's go into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let's go on vacation together. Let us go out early in the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grapes have blossomed, have opened, the pomegranates are in bloom. Those are all poetic languages, language to describe. Let's experience and express our sexuality. He speaks and she responds to say, let's enjoy this together. The first thing that we see is this, that there is a desire that for God to say, you can have passionate pleasure within the context of biblical married sexuality. Even Paul, who was unmarried, gives this advice to married couples in 1 Corinthians in the context of a very confused sexuality. He says, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul says, enjoy one another Sexually, don't deprive one another. In the context of marriage, enjoy it. Have a passionate love for one another. Passionate pleasure. But secondly, joyful procreation. It's not merely just pleasure, but it's also procreate. When you have sex with someone, that's how babies are made. And when God told Adam and Eve, he pulled them uh, together and he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. He says, every other animal, he created flocks of birds. He created bunches of, of animals in the, that were cattle. Like he created them in abundance. But when it came to making humans, he didn't make flocks. He didn't make schools of <clears throat> you know, fish of humans, right? He says, I want you... To love one another, be in a committed, lifelong relationship that you passionately love one another. And I want you to make babies out of that context of a loving, committed relationship. That you bring life into this life-giving love that you have for one another. And thirdly, God desires deep connection. God desires that you would have deep connection with this person that you've committed to for a lifetime. Verse 20, Genesis 2, 23. 
It says he put him to sleep, and he got up, and he was amazed at what he saw. And it says this in verse 24. Therefore man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. He says, what's supposed to happen? What's supposed to happen? Does that always happen? Tragically, it doesn't. But one man and one woman for one lifetime, and the two will leave their father and mother, and they'll become one flesh. They'll be like one. And sex literally does this in the context of this relationship. It bonds you. Scientists have studied this. There's, there's at least three chemicals related to bonding that are released. One of them is um, dopamine, which is kind of the pleasure center. The other one is oxytocin, which, which is literally the bonding chemical. It's also released by moms when they're nursing their babies. It is the bonding chemical within this relationship. It's why when you have sex with someone and then they break up with you, it hurts so bad because you've been bonded together. It's a great thing in the context of marriage. It is a tragic thing when you go from one relationship to another. In fact, one study studied this in particular, and it says this. When an individual chooses to engage in casual sex, breaking bond after bond with each new sexual partner, the brain forms a new synaptic map of one-night stands. This pattern becomes the new normal for the individual. And when and if the individual later desires to find a more permanent partner, the brain mapping will have to be overcome, making a permanent bond more difficult to achieve. Scientists, as they're studying this, they're, they're saying actually the same thing that the Bible has said. Sex is sacred. Sex is beautiful. And it is meant to be in the context of a committed, lifelong Marriage, where you, a man and woman, stand before God and everyone else and says, my finances, my future, and everything is committed to this person, and I'm here standing in front of God and everyone else and the government saying, if this thing ends, they're getting half of everything. Because I'm committing to be with this person for as long as we both shall live. That is God's design. Over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about some distortions. The reality is sex has been broken. There's all sorts of reasons for it. There's all sorts of issues for it. Over the next several weeks, we're going to look at some of the breaking points, some of the distortions, and ultimately God's redemption in week four, how God can restore the most broken of sexuality. And let me just say this. When it comes to the area of sexuality, we have all thought And for many of us, we have done things that we feel very broken about and have a lot of regrets. Here's the greatest news you can get this morning. And in the midst of our brokenness, God sent a rescuer, Jesus Christ. And he doesn't stand to condemn us in our mistakes. He stands to free us that we could experience the freedom and design that God has for us. And that's in all of life, including our sexuality. And so what God wants most for you is not to turn over a new leaf to become better sexually. He wants you to come to the person of Jesus Christ to be freed from the bonds that enslave us and to empower us through the Holy Spirit to live a new life that includes our sexuality. For many of you, 
this may be a time of some repentance. And I'll tell you, the altar is open. Jesus is ready to forgive and restore if you come to him. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for your word. And I thank you so much that you came to restore a broken world. And you don't stand and look at the world and say, wow, it went too far gone. It's too bad for me to step in. You, you saw the brokenness of a broken culture in ancient times and today. And today you still say, I am here to bring you back and to restore the years that have been broken. So Lord, I pray for each student here, for each table host here, that you would help us to to realize where we have not followed your design. And Lord, that you would help us to move in healing and hope through the power of Jesus Christ. We love you. We cannot do it without you. So I'm lifting all of us to you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Man, you guys can stand up. Table group leaders, you can go set up your tables. And the rest of us, we're just going to reflect on what we learned today.